it's me, Amy. Just reminding you. We have t-shirts in the show. Just go to pgttcm.com. Check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we've got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean. Look cool. Have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. You're listening to KZON, only in public radio. Once again, we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZON. Hey everyone, it's me, D.B. Spitzer, and to my virtual right, as always, Farmer Dave. Farmer Dave, how the heck are you doing this week? I am well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, you're recording out... Uh, out, out at the farm again this week. Uh, any Anything fun and exciting happening out there? Well, I think we have solved a mystery. Okay, what was the mystery? Well, I told you that, you know, something pretty dangerous. That we were noticing that there were, like, little tiny, like, burn marks oh, on, yeah, yeah. Uh, on the barn. <laughs> well, they seem to be coming from the chucks. Okay. So those of you who missed the last couple of episodes... Uh, Ralph the Rooster, who may or may not make an appearance in this show, mm-hmm. um, has mated with one of our ducks, and they've created what we call Chucks, Chuck Ducks, or Dickens, Duck Chicken. And it seems to me that this little burn stuff is coming from the Chucks themselves. Interesting. So I called Pinky, you know. Mm-hmm. And she came with Pinky, you guys don't know, she's our, our local uh, uh, veterinarian. She came by and uh, she basically gave Ralph the rooster a once-over. And what we mistaken for a rooster is apparently not a rooster. Oh. Uh, she has diagnosed it as a phoenix. Oh, that makes sense. So kind of why they're having babies with Doug. Yeah. So we've got this fireproof metal container. And we put the little tiny chuck ducks, and every once in a while there's this little poof, and smoke comes up. But uh, 
We think we've captured all the little chucks and that they've got them in fireproof containers so that there will be no barn burning. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. That's that's great. That's any other news on the barn uh, <laughs> or, or, or the uh, no, farm in general? Other than that, it's, uh, you know, we've gotten a little bit of, of rain. So, so obviously, as I tell the goats, somebody has made Pan sad and be crying yeah. in a little bit of fog. And that's obviously ghost pirates. But other than yeah, that, yeah. It, it's doing well. Yeah, no, uh, actually, the elementary school is closed due to ghost pirates and the kids are staying home so uh they 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 uh uh hopefully won't make too much noise but yeah dusseldorf and barbacoa uh, they're they're just playing minecraft because that's the only thing they want to do is watch minecraft videos play minecraft talk about minecraft raking leaves in the graveyard and they're like did you know that this 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 and i'm like okay you two talk about anything other than Minecraft. So this week I'm going to introduce them to Dungeons and Dragons, and maybe they'll start talking about Dungeons and Dragons all the time instead of Minecraft. But I, Whoa, I doubt it. Know. I doubt it. <laughs> they'll, they'll probably they'll be, be like, "What do you mean I had to go buy my pickaxe and take it from a dead orc? <laughs> I want to make it." Yeah, I, I have a feeling they're going to be like, I'm going to attack the tree so I can make a pickaxe. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, so what do we got going on this week? Well, because of either brilliance or because we love our audience and doing a holiday special, <laughs> we have two, not one, not one and a half, but two full interviews. Wow. Very cool. Uh, yeah, I know that I interviewed Scott Glancy. Uh, who'd you interview? So I interviewed a talented writer from England. His name is Tim Mendy. We talked a little bit about uh, the mythos in England, how it's being accepted, and challenges, you know, writing for uh, an English speaking audience all over the world that doesn't exactly speak English the same way. Yeah. Yeah, very true, very true. Nice. Very cool. And uh, you and I, we're going to do kind of like a Dave's Corner of the Podcast um, mixed with D&D on D&D. And we're just going to talk about Carcosa. Um, so it's going to be a DB in Dave's Corner of the d Let's, let's start talking about some Carcosa. We're going to talk about what it is, and then later we're going to talk about how to use it in your game. And Dave, what is Carcosa? So Carcosa is a place, maybe an aspect of the other god, Hostor. <laughs> and maybe it's a state of mind. Yeah. So it, it's very sort of open and from literature has a very interesting 
history. Mm-hmm. And it's not you know, created by H.P. Lovecraft or one of the traditional Lovecraft mythos psycho. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not even associated with uh, or created by the person most associated with it, which yeah. is Chambers. Yeah. But one of my all-time favorites. Mine too. Ambrose Pierce. Ambrose Pierce. Bitter Pierce. Yes. Most famous now for like probably his proto-weird fiction writing, <laughs> Strange Occurrence at Owl Creek, yeah. The Damn Thing, and also his his Devil's Dictionary. Yeah. Or what we used to call like sort of daffinitions, which was like a word and then a funny explanation of what that word is. <laughs> but he wrote a lot of different styles. He was, during his lifetime, probably most famous for his uh, war autobiography, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What I Saw and Antietam. He also probably was most famous, oh, as a newspaper writer. Yeah, yeah, as a Um, journalist in California. Yeah, but he would write a lot of sort of just whatever the heck he wanted. Yeah. And so he wrote, first of all, he wrote a sort of a short story, and I mean quite literally short story, like Mm -hmm. maybe two or three pages of mm-hmm. Hyena the Shepherd. And that's where we get the first mention of Hostar as mm-hmm. the god of the shepherds, who's this rather benign sort of wish-granting god. Mm-hmm. Then he is mentioned in, or in another story, and I think Beerus only mentions him twice in... Inhabitant of Carcosa, yeah, yeah. Where Carcosa is first mentioned there, and it is sort of a ruined city. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 mentioned, you know, uh, it, it's talked about as a city that is gone. It's 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 not a place that's it's it's it doesn't exist anymore. Is is the thing with Carcosa? And this is going to be very in keeping with Beerus's, as you, you said, sort of is that bitter Beerus, this war survivor, who you know. You know, in his biography, describes walking on bodies of his fellow soldiers so he can go up to kill more people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, of sort of this, so I think this might have been kind of cathartic for him, mm-hmm. uh, sort of get out his feelings of what America became. I don't think that, like I said, I think Hostor is only mentioned twice, and Carcosa, as far as I know, he only mentions it once. Mm-hmm. And then it is picked up by Robert Chambers. Correct. And so most of what we get of Carcosa as this outer world place comes from Chambers. Robert W. uh, Chambers. And this becomes sort of the planet or or the palace of Hastar, Mm -hmm. who has gone from sort of this benign god of shepherds to this true sort of Lovecraftian, proto-Lovecraftian deity. God of decay, almost, sort of thing. Yes. God of entropy. Exactly. Which is is in keeping with Beerus's mindset. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And definitely... But but not not his first appearance. And so I almost you know maybe more than any uh, you know fandom, mm-hmm. Lovecraft is a fandom made of headcanon. Yes. Yeah. A- and why? So I have lots of different reasons. We'll talk about it another show. But I think people are pretty respective, are respectful of of other people's headcanon in mm-hmm. most cases. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna say to me, Haida the Shepherd is almost. Hostile propaganda. To me, it exists in a universe 
as ancient writings of Hastur. Maybe how Hoster wanted to be appeared for some particular reason, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but not necessarily factual canon. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So ancient propaganda to make people go, yeah, Haster, Haster's a, a nice, uh, nice person. And you know, if 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 you're nice. Yeah, well, he he he's the god of shepherds, not yeah. the unspeakable. <laughs> yeah. According to our friend, um, and who I completely uh, believe, but Ken Height says that Hostor the Unspeakable mm-hmm. is a derelict misreading. Yeah. That when they're chanting all these things, it's this creature, Hostor, comma, unspeakable, the unspeakable, which is another creature. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And that derelict sort of just started calling it Hostor the Unspeakable by combining two entities. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, that makes sense because there's this time where Hoster becomes this thing that is just kind of mentioned in Lovecraft and uh, the Lovecraft Circle, and then it starts to take on this this other thing, this this king in yellow, this this unspeakable horror, this Carcosa, this this um what we now kind of start to think of he absolutely and, and I, though i do think that he was going back to and, and later writers going back to um the original chambers sure sure yeah yeah definitely definitely pulling from chambers uh the source no yeah i guess i uh when we we think of haster as in this this deity this 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 god of entropy this this uh, sickening madness uh, that is Haster definitely uh, Chambers is the source material when we start thinking about that kind of stuff and kind of like the king in yellow the yellow sign and all that kind of like uh, lost Carcosa uh, it, that, that, that stuff all comes from Chambers and um, Lovecraft I don't think really did anything more than just like name check Haster but, uh, like, Durleth and everyone... Uh, I think, I'm pretty sure you're correct. Yeah, uh, but I, I feel that, like, uh, Durleth and everyone kind of, like, went with this, this, this decadency and just kind of, like, went, yeah, that's what it is. It's, it's artists and degenerates, and it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's the yellow papers, it's the yellow wallpaper, it's, uh, <laughs> the yellow book, it's the yellow sign, it's, it's this, this, uh, uh, late 19th century concept of decadence and uh, uh, corruption. Uh, and seeing reality in a different way than correct. everybody around yeah, you. Yeah. So in, in ways, and, and I know we've got to go back to Carcosa, we're kind of, but you can't really talk about Carcosa without talking about Hostor. Sure. In ways, Hostor is the ultimate muse. <laughs> but it is in such a way that it's not this beautiful woman that inspires you. No. It's this entity that brings back this sort of touch of madness that artists would have that insanity in artists. Mm-hmm. And the example I would think, you know, and, and forgive me that I'm using a, a real world case of, a, of a, an artist suffering mm-hmm. from mental delusions 
But if Hofstra was real mm -hmm. and it affected anyone in the last hundred years, mm -hmm. it would be Philip K. Dick. Okay. All right. Well, because of drugs and schizophrenia and because of, in ways, his own artistic, had he lived in it, he quite literally lived in a parallel universe. I'm not mm -hmm. saying like mm -hmm. dimensional universe. He saw things in the universe where he was remember growing up with people who died when he was 10 days old, he would be sort of, you know, if you're going to make a fictitious character based on a 20th century, 21st century, I don't realize that he, he passed away in the 80s. Yeah. You know, Phil K. Dick is great inspiration if you're going to be writing about a character who um, has this connection with Hostor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. But back to Carcosa. Yeah. Carcosa... Uh, one thing I want to say about Carcosa is Carcosa, in some people's canon, uh, Carcosa used to be a city called Yil, uh, where Casilda and her family held court. Uh, and that's from the play in Yil, or uh, interpretations of or the ki King in Yellow, yeah, play the, King in the Yellow, excuse me. Interpretations of the King in Yellow, the play. Uh, I think that's Lynn Carter's version. I believe so. And there is... A priest. There is Casilda and her daughter and her two sons, and then a masked figure comes and says, "Hey, King in Yellow's coming." And Casilda's like, "Hey, where's your mask?" And the thing's like, "I don't have a mask on." And then the King in Yellow shows up, and everyone goes crazy. And uh, that's the play, The King in Yellow. Uh, and you're only supposed to read the first half because the second half will make you go nuts. <laughs> but uh, let's let's get back to Carcosa and less me drifting off into King and Yellow uh, uh, mythology. Uh, Carcosa is a constantly shifting city, uh, constantly shifting in uh, designs, uh, going from like Art Deco to Geor uh, Georgian to uh, brutalist. Edwardian in like just like just as you're moving around and as you turn back its styles will change what used to be this used to be that the streets will go from this type of pave to cobblestone you know it's 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 a constantly shifting as you keep your eyes I don't know as uh, you don't even see it in the corner of your eyes. You notice something different, but you don't realize what it is until you turn around. You can get lost easily. Uh, there's there's all kinds of like various things, depending on who's writing the book, who's writing the RPG, who's writing the whatever. Uh, Carcosa has a malleable nature, which is uh, really good for writing and game design. Uh, I feel like I've just been talking for five minutes straight. Dave. Hi, I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon 
And there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InnsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of This month's bandwidth is brought to you by Psychedelic Water. Legal psychedelics suspended in green tea and then put inside of a can for you. Psychedelic Water. Who needs a Tillinghouse resonator when you've got psychedelic water? Are you a Kirby girl? Do you know a Kirby girl? You love a Kirby girl. Check out the show links for Kirby Girl. Plus, Larry, find, find student instruments, beginner's instruments. If you want to modify a guitar, check out Glary. If you want to get into guitars, if you love guitars, Glary. Things from another world. It's a store that has art. It has toys. It has comics, graphic novels. It is the place if you like that kind of stuff. Dave and I have talked about it in the show before they were ever a sponsor. Dave likes to check out their stuff. I like to check out their stuff. They're pretty cool. Toys, art, graphic design, not graphic design, graphic novels for you. Things from another world. Check out the show notes. Uh, check out the links on, on our website, PGPTCM. We've got specific stuff there. Did you Let know that know there is a THC derivative that's legal called Delta-8? So not to be confused with the Delta variant, but Delta-8, yeah. Uh, you can get it in chewable form, and it's sold at, uh, what, what, what's, what's Golden Goat CBD, one of our sponsors? Yeah, you can get some Delta-8, and you can also pick up some CBD chewables gummies. They've got smokables for the Delta-8, and they've got all kinds of stuff for CBD, and they can help you out. Uh, check the show notes, Golden Goat. And while you're in the show notes, hey, do you know about Donner? Donner has so many amazing musical instruments from all kinds, mandolins, banjos. They've got drums. They've got amplifiers. They've got guitars. They've got all kinds of stuff, and they ship worldwide. Check out Donner. I think you're going to like it, and I think Donner's going to have a good deal for you. So I, I love their electric guitars. A lot of the music that I perform for the show is either on one brand or it's on a Donner. Thank you so once check again out Donner for to People's Guide and to check out some savings. You can All help right. show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Oh, okay. Um, all right. Well, then I'll, I'll go ahead and start unless you got any questions Excellent. for me. No, yeah, I'm good, man. Go for it. Yep. Oh, you, you hear him? Yeah, I heard him. Yep. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome back. 
And this is the interview time where I and maybe Ralph the Rooster, because he seems to be pretty active today, are going to interview Tim Mendes. And I was about to say, hey, you know, you know, Tim's returning to the show. But no, this is your first time. I was on your show, wasn't I? Yes, indeed. Yeah. A couple, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, t- uh, Tim, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? No, no, thanks, man, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm Tim Mendes. I'm a uh, writer of cosmic horror, weird fiction, all all that good stuff. From uh, originally from Macclesfield in the UK. Uh, I also co-host the Innsmouth Book Club podcast, and I do my own interview series called After Hours on my YouTube channel. So pretty busy, pretty much all of the time. <laughs> Excellent. It sounds like it. Yeah, and just uh, you know, oh. Ralph is glad that you're here. <laughs> I was. I'm, I'm, it's nice to hear him. He yeah, sounds, Ralph, sounds, Ralph, uh, Ralph missed you. Ralph, Ralph was on your show too. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he yeah. was. <laughs> so, so yeah, you know, I have to admit, for you know, decades and decades, I was basically just a fanboy, and intellectually, I got that things like this took a little bit of effort. Yeah. But you're actually in england now and i'm you know outside of portland oregon and so you know it's like an eight hour difference between uh yeah so just between you and me since you're eight hours ahead did america do anything stupid in the last eight hours (laughs) i mean i love my country but it it, it does stupid things once in a while <laughs> to be absolutely honest with you, I haven't looked at the news today because I've, I've been avoiding the news at the moment because it's just so depressing. Ooh, <laughs> okay, I get that. I, I get that. <laughs> yeah, it's just, so I, every now and then I just need a day where I don't look at the news, just just so my brain can sort of heal a little bit. <laughs> don't the, worry. The I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because don't worry, you know, our country does plenty of stupid things as well, so don't worry. Yeah. About it. <laughs> is that line is that line in men in black a person is smart people are stupid and panicky yes yes brilliant yeah it's a great line <laughs> so uh i'm kind of curious what is what i mean i had no i have a lot of friends who are are english yes. uh, who love lovecraft but how is lovecraft sort of seen in the uk um <sighs> It's, it's an interesting question because I mean, among the the people who know, he's he's as lauded as he would be in the in the states, probably maybe even more so to a degree. Um, but um, but because I mean, from myself personally, I discovered him through people like Ramsey Campbell and um, mm. Brian Lumley, yeah. um, and all that all that kind of stuff because that was my sort of generation. Uh, growing up so I was reading like because uh, Ramsey Campbell always says that he he read Lovecraft when he was about eight now mm-hmm. I read Ramsey Campbell when I was about eight so you know it, that's kind of how it how it worked but um yeah there is a there is a it's it's it seems to be growing over here people are discovering Lovecraft or rediscovering Lovecraft um which is a great thing uh, especially especially for people like me who write that kind of stuff uh, yeah. there seems to be a, a big renewed interest in weird fiction and cosmic horror um at the moment which is which is cool you know definitely yeah. you know and, and besides you 
and, and people that are my friends. You asked me to name like three horror writers from from England. You know, yeah. I could only name you know Ramsey Campbell, Brian Lumley, and, and Clyde Barker. Yes. Besides the people that I actually know, and all three of those are I've obviously been influenced by Lovecraft. Yes. Um, is that just cognitive bias? It's just that I'm a Lovecraft fan, so my <laughs> English uh, authors are also Lovecraft fans. Or, or do you think that a lot of uh, writers are uh, influenced by him? I think a lot of them are. Yes. Well, even even like even over like in the states, people like Stephen King were heavily influenced. But I think yeah. definitely over here as well, because um, you've got um, one thing that I've always thought about is that Lovecraft himself was influenced by. British writers like Arthur Macken. Oh, uh, Lord Dunsey. Yeah, Dunsany and um, Blackwood, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think, it, you know, it comes from that as well. Because, um, I mean, I grew up reading like Arthur Macken. I mean, Great God Pan is still one of my, my favourite things ever. I love oh, that. Oh, it's an ever. amazing story. Yeah, I absolutely love it. It's great. I, I, I never get tired of it. It's one of those I never get tired of. And um, I get the same from the love from Lovecraft as well, and you can see the influences all the way through it, especially like yeah. um, like uh, the Dunwich Horror is yes. definitely could be in the same universe as the Great God Pan, you know. Uh, and I like the fact that Lovecraft brought in all these influences and sort of mixed them in and introduced and kind of introduced them to a, to a new audience in a way. Um, yeah. But I love that fact that it's all kind of mixed up. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Now, off the best of my knowledge, he 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 loved England. He he had sort of yes. this romanticized idea of what England was like. But yeah. I think he only set one story, The Rats in the Wall, in England. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah, was he... ironically an American returning to England. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's quite strange actually because he he was like a self-confessed anglophile, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, because he like in um he he would use like uh, the British spellings. Uh, yeah, yes. And things like that which um which was probably wasn't very popular at the time in in America to do that. But um because I know like for my own thing it's really it can get really confusing. When sure. you get you get you get an edit back and it's covered in the dreaded red pen, <laughs> and it's because you forgot to change the spellings thing on your spell checker. <laughs> yes, and now now I have a friend who oh, who is English that I sometimes he'll send me short stories that are, are mainly published in the United States. Yeah, and and there is uh, there's quite a few things. Uh, he has one where it's a short story is set in uh, a public restroom. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he used the word cubicle. And, I, you know, I'd never heard stalls called cubicles. Uh, and I guess it was used both in, yeah. in England. Is there a lot of terms that you find like that? Or is it really difficult to write for an American audience or it is, it, a multinational yeah. audience? It's um, yeah, I struggled with it more beginning. I kind of got used to it now. There's little things. I mean, like the big one for me was what you would call a flashlight we call a torch torch yeah uh but obviously to most of the world if you say a torch they think a big fiery stick yeah you know i mean that, that's a that's a quirk of, of, of ours 
So I'm kind of, you know, either call it an electric torch or a flashlight. flashlight. Just to, yeah, just well, for clarification. Well, in the up until I think World War Two, we called it the torch. In fact, mm. um, in um, the Mountains of the Madness, when Lovecraft is uh, talking about flashlights, there, there's a note, at least one of my copies, uh, by S.T. Joshi saying that he means flash bulbs. And that up until the 30s, uh, Americans called flashlights torches, too. Yes. Yeah. I, I actually had a conversation about this with somebody else a while ago, actually, saying about that. that. It's the annotated Mountains of Madness, isn't it? The uh... yeah. Yes. And I've got several. I think it's maybe Penguin's version, the one that yeah. S.T. Joshi uh, annotated. Yes. It's the yeah, it's the one I've got. <laughs> it's, yeah. Because I've, I've got that version as well. Yes. Um, yeah, so it's things like that and holiday and vacation. Because uh, if we you, if we say holiday, you think that like uh, over there, most people would think I mean Christmas or yeah. something like that. Uh, whereas I mean a vacation. <laughs> so yes. Yeah. So if I I tend to look at the um, where the publisher's based, uh, and if you know if I'm sending it specifically for somewhere is somewhere in the states or canada or something like that i will change something change things like that just to just for clarity really because you know they might think it's typos do do, do you ever play up the english just for lack of a better word an exotic factor if the story is set in england um i kind of i do that by by complete and total accident Mm. <laughs> because I am, I I do tend to think in a very sort of British manner. Um, so I I tend my stories tend to be incredibly British, uh, especially like my novella spiffing. It's all like oh what who chaps and <laughs> it's all like you know very like P.G. Woodhouse kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, which which is interesting because like uh, I've had uh, a couple of reviews where they some people didn't under, didn't get some of the slang and they it took them out of the story because they had to go back because they had to look up what a hell they I was had to look about. it up but um but a lot of people really liked the fact that it was uber british you know um but that kind of story it kind of had to be you know it was all yeah. butlers and <laughs> butlers and toffs and debutantes and all that kind of business you know he said kind of had to be incredibly british yeah so i think one of the greatest things i love and that is very hard for me to achieve is when the setting practically becomes a character yes and and, and i mean if you if you're like if you're going to be in antarctica Antarctica has got to be a character. You're going to be in a space station. You got to make the space station. You know, you don't want a generic setting if you're going to be in a space station. What are maybe some things that you do or or you think that makes England or or Britain or maybe even London, if you want to get specific? How do you use that as a character? Now, you see, that's interesting because, I mean, I do – most of my stories are set in a uh, I've created my own milieu uh, similar to um, Lovecraft Country, similar to Ramsey Campbell's Seven Valley uh, on the coast of Cornwall. And that to me is probably the most important character because uh, it's all like, you know, run down fishing villages and 
um you know the, these little villages where every, people are <laughs> the net curtains are twitching people are looking out the cur- you know it's that kind of that is there's something kind of creepy about it when you when you look at it because it's you don't know what's going on behind the net curtains uh and that's the kind of thing that i like to try and channel it's that sort of um i like to turn the everyday sort of murderous <laughs> or, ominous. or at least mysterious and potentially yeah. murderous yes exactly that exactly uh and like i say like campbell was a big influence on me uh what yeah. he did what he did with um and i think i think uh, most writers of lovecraftian horror uh in the uk will be influenced by ramsey campbell and brian lumley to a degree yeah. uh uh, because I mean, I've taken stuff from from Lumley as well. I mean, like uh, I'm a big fan of his Titus Crow series. Yeah, yeah. I'm a bit not so not so much the novels. I mean, there's some of those the Burrows Beneath is brilliant, but um, but the short stories were absolutely yeah. incredible. Um, so I've I kind of taken those influences, and again, it's like one of the things I remember from Burrows was the the very Britishness of it. Uh, the fact that they're trying to get away from the minions of uh, Shudder Miel, you know, the old, you know, the old, the old burrower. Uh, yeah. So they go on and he can't, you go, they can't go through water. So they, they end up in a canal barge on the River Thames. Yes. <laughs> it's just so British. <laughs> they're yes. sitting there having a cup of tea on a canal boat. <laughs> and, and, and I think, I think it was Campbell, but it might've been Lumley who first was writing setting, you know, in Arkham, Massachusetts. And it was of all people, Campbell, it was uh, August Darrow of all people said, use your homeland, use it. Yep. It's, that's one of the things that, that was probably like uh, a big influence on me because I, when I started, I did exactly the same thing. I started writing in in Dunwich and Innsmouth. Uh, and uh, and I was just like, but I've never. Been, it was like the same reason because I've got the uh, the letters. It's they're included in the uh, the anniversary edition of Inhabitant of the Lake. Oh, okay. uh, the letters from Derleth to to Campbell, and it's basically like you know, it's obvious to me that you've never been there. <laughs> so, so, so write about what you know, you know. And I was the same thing. I've never been to New England. I don't know what it's like. I, I can't they can't give it that authenticity it needs um but what i have been i spend a lot of time down the west country but in cornwall sure. and places like that so i i'll just do it there so i'll create my own innsmouth my own arkham my you know uh yeah yeah and, and not only that but it gives you a little bit more control too yes definitely definitely and and the thing is like some of the feedback i've had over my work and things like that is one thing that a lot of the people like is the setting Uh, and it's one of the things i love about campbell uh is i love i love goat the goat's wood and all that you know breaches and all that kind of stuff i love it it's great it's got so much atmosphere to it uh and um lumley did it as well when he did uh, dagon's bell up on the northumbrian coast i mean that that story is just oozing atmosphere yes because of its setting um which because so it's yeah like you say i mean it, the setting is probably the most important character especially in cosmic horror because you have to have that grounding i think you know it, it, exactly you have this 
uber real world situation, poverty, you know, mm. paint chipping off of houses. Yes. And then it's visited by the astounding astronomical. Yes. Yeah, I love that. That's what I like. It's like the, you know, the everyday, the, the dirty chip wrappers in the gutter and all the rest of it. And I like to get a lot of that in my stories, you know, because, I mean, that's what I see. You see every day, isn't it? And uh, exactly. You know, you get the dark alleys and, you know, you could you know, walk down them at night. You can perfectly believe that there could be some tentacled abomination lurking behind a bin or something, you know? <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now uh, we're we're sort of running out of time, but I you know I could probably spend all day talking to you. Yeah. Now this is going to come out October, November ish. You who are listening now, you've got a better idea of what time it is. But you've got something coming out early October, correct? I do. Yes, it's my first um, short story collection uh, called "The Pseudopod That Rocks the Cradle." Uh, it's coming out from Madison Press on the fifth of October. Uh, and I'm immensely proud of it. <laughs> it's, uh, it was always Congratulations. my. Congratulations. Thank you. It was always my dream. It's always my goal because I mean, um, okay, I've had novellas out and things like that, but it, but my goal was always to get a short story collection because that that's what I like reading, like like Cold Print by Campbell and yeah. all the Lovecraft collections. I mean, Cosmic Horror tends to work in short stories very very well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I wanted to. So that's it was my my, my ultimate goal. <laughs> so I've been writing these stories for years just to to get enough that work together that I could uh, get my collection out. So I'm incredibly happy about it. Yeah. And you said it's Madison Press. Yes, it is indeed. Yeah, who are based in Florida. Oh, um, well, okay. they, they're based between Florida and New York. The co-founders, one of them's in Florida, one of them's in New York. So oh. yeah. And where would uh, uh, where would uh, someone be able to order a copy of this? Uh, you can get them either from the Madison Press uh, website or the, it's on Amazon. Um, it's out in paperback and ebook. Uh, there's other ebook sellers as well. Um, I think you pro- they, it's on like all all the usual suspects uh, ebook wise. Um, but yeah, I mean there's a, a universal link to um, the Amazon is. Uh, getbook.at forward slash pseudopod underscore rocks um that sounds like a title of a science fiction book yes (laughs) (laughs) i it had to it had to be done because obviously it can't be too long Uh, (laughs) but it was like pseudopod rocks yeah that's happening (laughs) or or, you don't you guys like do band names once in a while Yes, indeed. indeed. The pseudoped yes, rocks, or yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. That's one of the bits of silliness we have in the Innsbruck Both Club podcast. We end up coming up with band names and song titles, well, because we, yeah, because we both we both uh, been musicians and things like that, so it just kind of happens, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's all good fun, and uh, I will do my best to uh, make sure we get some links into the show notes. Um, and, you know, I am, like I said, I'm not quite sure when the audience will be listening to this, but yep. so either best of luck or congratulations on your amazing success. <laughs> Thank you very much, mate. Thank you. Yeah.
Do you like the TV series Tales from the Crypt? Are you interested in full episode and movie reviews from Tales from the Crypt? This podcast is for you. The Good Evening Kitties podcast, where I, Melissa, your ghostess with the mostess, recap every episode with special guests and bonus horror movie reviews. The Good Evening Kitties podcast can be found on most podcast platforms. Check it out today. Hey everyone, we are back. Uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We've got a guest here today, and that guest is the one, the only, Adam Scott Glancy. Scott, how the heck are you doing? Uh, Just fine, thank you very much. Uh, Welcome, uh, it's good to be back. Um, I enjoyed my first visit to the uh, People's Guide, and uh, you know, I'm happy to to return. Good, good, good. Yeah, uh, today uh, we're going to be talking about a couple of things, or maybe I'll split this up into a couple of different shows, but I wanted to talk to you today first about the Haster Mythos uh, thoughts, and uh, what can you do with it? What can you do with it? <laughs> well, you know, the, the, I may not be the uh, uh, best guy to, to ask about the uh-huh, uh-huh. mythos, but I will say, yeah. um, uh, on that topic, you know, uh, the, the answer is a lot. Yeah. According to Robin Laws, you uh, you can make an entire role playing game out of it. I mean, his his King in Yellow role a game is is you know uh, for is is a standalone mm-hmm. you know where he has managed to dip back in. And for those of you who don't know, Robert W. Chambers uh, was the author of the short story The King in Yellow and a number of other stories that uses its uh, central premise a uh, a a cursed or supernaturally tainted play mm-hmm. called The King in Yellow. Yeah. And uh, over the years, uh, he wrote stories where that was his sort of central conceit, conceit in his tales. The uh, Much like the Necronomicon forms the sort of uh, load-bearing wall of a lot of uh, Lovecraft stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, for Chambers, it's the uh, King Yellow. And, and, and unlike Lovecraft, a lot of Chambers' material is set in an alternate Earth. Um, it is not our world. Uh, I think it's the repair of reputations where it begins, where there are, uh, you know, government uh, subsidized suicide stations mm-hmm, available mm-hmm. in the city. Yeah. Uh, world War, the, the European war ended with a failed German invasion of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, there's, there's aspects of that world where the timeline is different. They are not, it's not in our world. So it, yeah. it has a kind of, uh, what I think Robin Laws described as reality horror. Yeah. And certainly his game is set up in such a way that um, as the players progress through it, they find that their reality is dissolving, that they may be uh, involved in several different realities, but the, the structure that connects all of these realities and ultimately connects them to a kind of reality, a central <laughs> reality that is Carcosa, a, a city in the play, perhaps a city in real life that has been devoured in some way and absorbed uh, and changed by the appearance of the King in Yellow, also known as, as Haster, which of course is lifted from Lord Dunsany's, um, is it Height uh, of the Shepherd? Oh, um, Ambrose Bierce's Height of the Shepherd. I do. I'm sorry. You're right. It's it's, it's Pierce. Whoops. No problem. Um, but uh, I think that's the first time anyone name drops mm-hmm. uh, Haster. Um, but uh, it's it's not actually connected to the Cthulhu mythos. It's mm-hmm. not connected to it uh, in any way, shape, or form. Except I, th- I'm trying to remember where it's first name dropped. I mean, I think 
Lovecraft might name drop it somewhere, but I'm not. I, I it's it's uh, it's actually yeah, I'm absolutely uh, blanking on when and where he might have uh, name dropped it. Um, and if he was name dropping it, is he referring to the Chambers story? Is he referring to the earlier? Uh, story by Beers, so I'm um, not sure. I, I think he's referring to Beers. Off the top of my head, I, I think he's referring to the Beers one, but mm-hmm. it's just kind of like a name drop when he just like name drops something in a succession of a su- succession of things and doesn't clarify just for like you know occult spookiness. Uh, yeah. I should point out he definitely uh, the one of the things that comes up in the in the um, chamber stories is this thing called the yellow sign. Mm-hmm. Which is an image connected to uh, the King Yellow, yeah. uh, the play, the entity, the demigod, the break with reality, and this is your, this is your passport to Carcosa. This yeah. is the thing that once you've seen it, you are uh, infected by the weird, and now that you see it, it can see you, um, and you get drawn deeper and deeper into this reality, uh, bending or eroding, perhaps is a better word, um, uh, world that is the king in yellow and uh, the various entities that are associated with it like the um oh gosh uh, uh the the herald which is sometimes described in um i think that's one of the names for it is the the reanimated corpse that sort of uh, uh, uh serves the will of of the uh, uh the king in yellow um but the uh the yellow sign has been described various ways um kevin ross way back in the 80s, designed a version of the yellow sign, which has stuck around really well mm-hmm. over the years. It's kind of a three-sided, uh, semi-swastika-like object, uh, three-armed instead of uh, four, but with some uh, changes in it. That uh, uh, So it's not angular, it's not geometric at all, it's, it's all very, um, uh, oof, gosh, um, I don't want to say... Um, Semi-organic? Yeah, it does, have, it does have some of that going on. Um, I was going to almost say that it looked like uh, uh, not, uh, I'm sorry for a fractal almost, but that's not really yeah. correct. It's, it's not even, um, it's not even uh, symmetrical enough to be a fractal. And that's kind of the thing about the yellow side. It's nice. It's non-symmetrical in Kevin Ross's design. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did that for a uh uh, Call of Cthulhu scenario uh, for uh, Chaosium back in the 80s uh, that I believe was uh, shows up in the, in the collection The Great Old Ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am forgetting the name of it. It may be Have You Seen the Yellow Sign, um, but it was set in New Orleans during Mardi Gras. Yeah, it may be Have You Seen the Yellow yeah. Sign. But um, he, did, he came with that design. It has been since used on T-shirts and pins since. Uh, <laughs> it recently showed up in the Spanish uh, horror series, 30 Coins. There's a <sighs> moment where they're in Rome and the uh, priests are getting their uh, lecture on, you know, demonic possession and uh, the ritual of exorcism. And the yellow sign is drawn on the chalkboard. Camera just pans past it, but it was a nice little... <laughs> Tip of the hat to the yellow sign, nice, uh, and to the, uh, the the guy who designed um, Thirty Coins as experience playing Call of Cthulhu when he was a kid in the eighties. Gotcha. Um, it also the King in Yellow and the Yellow Sign and Haster and Carcosa are all name dropped all over the first season of True Detective. Yeah, uh, as flavoring, uh, as uh, you know, if you're gonna 
uh, if you're gonna steal, steal from the best, and they they did manage to steal some very good stuff. Um, I was just upset that people had um, had spoiled the fact that the King Yellow was coming up because when uh, they first get the uh, I think it's a diary entry uh, from the the dead girl and the, and and uh, Matthew McConaughey is reading in the car like uh, you know uh, like somebody earlier says in the in the, in the series uh, she said she found a king he was gonna marry her and take her away and it's like okay that sounds like standard little girl childhood you know maybe infantilized fantasy but then when McConaughey reads out I saw the king in yellow in the woods I really wish I'd gotten hit with that yeah raw like like a, just a punch in the face like you know just total uh, spit take sort of what the fuck you know yeah <laughs> I really wish like that. it would have been really worthwhile um, to, to get that level of, of absolute surprise where it's like you know yep that's right this uh, cop procedural took a hard right turn into no, into Carcosa and you're not yeah. getting out kids um, <laughs> but uh uh, yeah, that's that's basically where we're at with the. Uh, I mean, people have uh, have been knitting it into their other material for years, and it and, I, and and it may be Ross that brought it into. I, it may have been Ross that brought it into the into Call of Cthulhu. Now that I'm thinking off the top of my head, and we'll hold on just a second and see if I can roll over to the bookshelf. You bet. And see which issue? Which copies of? Call of Cthulhu I have on the shelf behind me. Here's my I guess this is the second edition. I'm just going to pop it open and see if there's actually uh, any stats for Haster in here because I'd be curious whether Haster had uh, made it into the books uh, in 19 early, you know, the early 1980s. Uh, the answer is no. Um, there is no Haster listing in this 1981 boxed edition of Call of Cthulhu. Um, back when they had to write uh, published but with permission of Arkham, Arkham House. Arkham House, yeah. <laughs> Arkham House didn't actually have uh, G, any of the um, <laughs> didn't actually have the rights to any of Lovecraft stories. But, yeah. you know, in this first version uh of uh, the Call of Cthulhu set. Uh, yeah, uh, the King in Yellow was not included, but, you know, we get a little further on, mm -hmm. and it's uh, now 1983, and we have the version that they published with uh, Games uh, Games Workshop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, Haster finally makes an appearance a little bit later in that hardback edition with the beautiful color plates in it. And, um, and which version of Haster do we have? Do we have the uh, uh, deflated humanoid, or is yeah, it... That's a, that's a good question. The version we get in the first <laughs> one, the first one is, the illustration is just big mess of tentacles. Oh, you know, gotcha. Just random mess of tentacles. Uh, it does not... Uh, yeah, does not uh, Lake of Hali, it's a possession by Haster, uh, a corpse that takes on a bloated, scaly look and limbless, uh, fluid, limb, limbs become boneless and fluid. Yeah. Um, what they don't have on this is the King in Yellow. Hmm. They don't actually drop the King in Yellow. Actually, now that I think of it, the old theaters and demigods included Haster. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, 
I guess the connection to the mythos goes back at least to, to, to that, although I'm not sure the publication date on de- deities and demigods. Um, so people were making connections way back then, but um, the first time I remember it really turning up was the Kevin Ross scenario. Um, in uh, and, and, then the, and maybe that is the point where they are married. Uh, <laughs> the Robert Chambers version of... Uh, of uh, the uh, the king in yellow mm-hmm. is suddenly married to the name Haster is married to the mythos and everyone yeah. seems to think that, uh, well clearly they all would be done together and yes it does say um, tell me have you seen the yellow sign and then later uh, let's see Richard Watts and Penelope Love did uh, Tatter Damalion mm-hmm. which yeah. was the uh, uh, sort of a murders in a house scenario for Call of Duty. And Keith Herbert did The Evil Stars, which mm-hmm. was uh, in Cthulhu Now and was a, you know, a heavy metal band that they're going to basically put on The King in Yellow yeah. as uh, a, a music festival or something and uh, and uh, uh, drag everyone to Carcosa or drag Carcosa into our world. It's debatable which one is more terrifying. Um but yeah, uh, I guess Haster and the King Yellow got married to, kind of got married to the to to the Cthulhu Mythos during the by, by gaming, mm-hmm. um, by the more than the fiction. Um, but uh, uh, other folks, um, uh, John Tynes was uh, the founder of Pagan Publishing. Uh, wrote a marvelous article in the first issue of the Unspeakable Oath back in 1990 called "The Road to Hali." Which was you know, expanding on the work by those previous uh, uh, game scenarios uh, to describe the Lake of Hali, upon which sits the lost city of Carcosa, lost to the universe through its contact with Haster. Dennis Detwar has gone uh, and done an entire campaign, Delta Green, just recently. Mm-hmm. All the possible landscapes. <laughs> it is all about. It's it's a little more personal doom that encompasses the group of agents who have a brush with Carcosa and the King in Yellow way back in the 19, I guess, 80s and then, uh, or 90s, and then it brings it forward to the 20, uh, you know, 2020 time period. And uh, some of the promises made in the first scenario come back to haunt everyone. He had, um, way back in the 1990s, this is all based on a scenario called, he wrote called The Night Floors, which mm-hmm. is an extremely successful oh, yeah. scenario where uh, an apartment building um, has come under the influence of the King in Yellow and Carcosa. And uh, at nighttime, there are more floors to the building than there are during the daytime. And as you go upstairs, you you descend into a kind of uh, a surreal horror. And that's where, where Dennis takes it. I mean, I, I'm not as familiar with Robin Laws's treatments. Mm-hmm. Some of this other stuff that was done uh, for Call of Cthulhu was just kind of standard uh, evil cult decides to something other decides to summon um, something other than Yogg-Sothoth mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's still got a lot of tentacles the, 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 the tell me have you seen the yellow sign is full on tentacle monster I don't think there's a king in yellow moment anywhere in it unlike uh, Tatter Damalian the basic thing that Robin Laws has talked about when I've listened to him speaking on the topic is that it's about destroying reality mm-hmm. around you but 
I'm not sure that his material goes in the direction of uh, Dennis's stuff. Dennis leans into surrealist. Mm-hmm. He leans mm-hmm. into this very David Lynch thing where it's like, you know, shit's happening because it's unnerving. Yeah. Um, the Haster is all about having things happen that are unnerving you. And John Tynes, with some of his fiction that he wrote about uh, the kicking of also dipped into that well of uh, uh, surreal um, horror. Uh, again, very much in a David Lynchian mode. Oh, well, uh, I, I just have to state for a fact, I love Night Floors. It's one of my favorite Delta Green scenarios. I've ran it at least three times, and I've used it for just even Call of Cthulhu of people being like, oh, I'm just moving into this apartment complex. Oh, yeah. I, just, I just made friends with this person. And now yeah. I'm worried. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's... They keep crying golden snakes that fall out of their eyes and slither off under the carpet. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah, to, to, for starters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's all kinds of terrible things that happen on the night floors. And... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's it's the, the Haster mythos, I, I think uh, you definitely... Uh, when you were talking about surrealism and David Lynch, that's something that comes up quite a bit. And I think it has a lot to do with just when the book, uh, when the short story collection was written and what was going on in Paris at the time. But it really does lend itself to surrealism. And uh, Robin D. Law's stuff is a bit more like uh, Belpoc. Uh, I always say that wrong. I'm not an art history major, but uh, the art art movements that were going on in Paris at the time with uh, surrealists and whatnot. And uh, yeah, no, no, I, I, I definitely think that the tone and the mood for Night Floors is just amazing. And I think um, that chapter in, I think it's Countdown for Delta Green, uh, that, that, that chapter on the Haster mythos itself, I, oh, yes. I, I think people should just, you know, if they want to write anything or run anything, even if they don't run Night Floors, which is a mistake in my opinion, um, that they should definitely read that chapter, track down uh, Countdown and, you know, definitely read that. But, yeah. Uh, available at uh, drive through RPG in PDF format. Yeah, John returned to the Pastor Mythos to write a big chunky section um, on, and without any actual, you know, we didn't actually have a, a Haster scenario or a mm-hmm. King and Yellow scenario, but it was just all about, you know, here are some guideposts for creating your own sure. uh, spooky, creepy, not so many jump scares, um, not so much combat, nothing you can take a swipe at, uh, sort of horror. Yeah. That, uh, is this dripping, creeping, IV drip of, of, unpleasantness that uh, I would also say that there's a lot of uh, if you've ever seen um, The Kingdom mm-hmm. uh, a, uh, the, the Dutch Dutch Danish uh, Danish TV series by Lars von Triers yeah. about a hospital that has been built in the absolute wrong place Yeah, um, there's a lot of that that has the feel of the Haster mythos mm-hmm. that you know surrealist and Surreal and and uh, you know unpleasantly off-putting things are happening without you know anything quite so you know threatening as mm-hmm. you know, monsters or ghouls or whatever jumping out at you. Um, but yeah, um, uh, this this tiny little erosion of your reality 
due to it having been, you know, you you took the wrong job in the wrong hospital, you moved into the wrong apartment building. Um, now I'm trying to remember who it was that worked with John to put together the King and Yellow Tarot. So I'm going to cheat and pull out my copy of of Countdown. Sure. And quick look. Um, uh, Daniel Harms. Daniel Harms. How can Dan I Harms. I gotta forget Daniel Harms. Um, yes, uh, <laughs> he, he, uh, they both they they were they worked together on another section of Countdown, which was a a tarot deck um, uh, related to the King in Yellow. Which sadly we have never been able to find the art or the time to, re- to recreate. There's been a lot of interest over the decades about couldn't we find a way to make this Lovecraftian or this Robert W. Chambers tarot deck come to life? And, mm-hmm. uh, so far, we've had no luck in that department, although we've had a few people step up you know, and, and be interested in the project. We just couldn't pay them what they were worth back in the day. <laughs> Who knows now? I think it's probably a Kickstarter. I think it's a Kickstarter stretch goal now yeah. through Arc Dream that you can actually get a copy of the King of Yellow Tarot deck if, <laughs> if you throw enough money or through past tense there's probably a backer kit so you can go run and, and, and you know join the kickstarter for nothing else than if you want the, the tarot deck um, and the tarot deck is surreal and uh, everything is slightly off the one you know it's all it's it's uh, I guess the one where they described the, 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 the Haster mythos is this idea like um, if if we imagine the world the way an obsessive compulsive might where everything is in the right place and everything is perfectly put in the right position uh you know so that now we're safe because we have ordered our world absolutely perfectly the books are you know smallest on the right largest on the left or whatever on each shelf if we've got you know everything perfectly squared away where our penguin points north if i can uh dip into um what was it called uh, uh misery you mm-hmm. know with kathy bates you know the oh, the penguin oh, the, the the penguin always points north you know when i came home it was pointing south uh basically the astromethos comes in and points your points your penguin in the wrong direction is is what happens everything's yeah. off everything's been moved here every everything's been everything's been touched you know um yeah, and, and that's what the Astro Mythos kind of does, is leave you with this impression that your spaces have been violated. Yeah. And you really don't know, and you, it, trying to get a line on who or what has done this is possibly the worst thing you can do in the situation, because once again, um, you know, knowing is half the battle, and all the battle is getting trapped in Carcosa forever. Uh, and possibly forgetting who you are and what you are, and just becoming another prop in the the never-ending play that yeah. is uh, Carcosa. Wow, that was great! Thank you so much, Scott. Well, you're welcome, and I am not nearly well armed enough of a subject to the Haster mythos. You need to get Robin Laws, <laughs> John Tynes in here on this. I'm sure Dennis would also be happy to give you an ear. Dennis Detwell would be happy to give you an ear. Oh, I cool. think you did a great job. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and... Uh, well, you can't get those guys. This is continuing my my uh, uh, my career as when you can't get uh, Ken Hyde, you know, try and get Scott Clancy. Now I can also sub in for John and Dennis and, and, oh. uh, and Robin laws you know i so don't know as long as, as long as we have tiered voting i'll always win because i always get the second place position you know 
everyone, I'll be everyone's second place. This is this is how this is how my plans come together. I finally emerge as a leading figure. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, that would be the best. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm there's more to it. Yeah, there's always another way to make life horrible with the um, the Robert W. Chambers work and the Haster mythos. Yeah. Um, oh. Tom Ring uh, wrote uh, for for years bits and pieces of the of the, the play The King in Yellow mm-hmm, mm-hmm. actually turned up uh, in various books, you know, various uh, short stories. Uh, Chambers wrote a few lines from the play. Uh, other authors have written a few lines of the play. And, and a guy named Tom Ring, um, who uh, still a friend, lives down in Tacoma. He uh, took all these. Um, bits and pieces of lines and he incorporated them and created a actually created the play the king in yellow mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he performed it in olympia washington many years ago <laughs> um, while i was living with john times and the other the other the other pagan publishing people in the uh, late 90s uh, early 2000s and it, it had to be like 2000 or 99 but um one day this envelope showed up from something called Scottish Bob Productions. We opened it up and inside were two yellow press passes inviting anyone from Pagan Publishing to come and see the play the the dress rehearsal of the play The King in Yellow in Olympia. And John Ties just lit up. I mean, John was just like, oh, we are going. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? We've How much Call of Cthulhu have you played, right? You know how this shit's going to turn out. You can't just <laughs> go to the play and be like, look, John, we, we can't just stumble into the situation blind, okay? We need to, the, the steps, steps need to be taken. So um, I'm like, you know, I, I'm the guy who's like, okay, well, speaking of firearms and the Cthulhu mythos, I will say that, yes, um, I uh, did, in fact, pit, pit, pack a couple of pistols uh, uh, under my jacket uh, for the trip down to um, Olympia. And, you know, if I if I could have, like, packed, a, like, a, 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 like, a smoke grenade or something, you know, for that quick exit i would have as well sadly i did not have one um but i'm like you know we did a, a pocket flashlight you know a folding knife you know i didn't know what else what else do i need he's like well i need a i need a car that i can drive through a a, a barricade for sure but i didn't have that all i had was my my old uh, thunderbird and so we, we drove down there i'm like look i'm not just gonna walk into this building okay we need to drive around the block see what's going around the other side of the building you know look for other exits and john's just like yeah whatever uh no he's not really like yeah whatever like i'm overreacting he, he's more like annoyed that i might be getting in his way from he i might be impeding his transition to carcosa you know <laughs> He was just like, oh, fine, whatever. So we get to Olympia, and the first thing that's going on is we can see the the handbills for the play, like on shop windows on this main street that we're on. And like, I swear, like one of them blows across the street, then slaps up against the telephone pole right as we drive by it, or some shit like that. And so there's and there's also nobody on the street, as far as I can tell. We're driving through. 
this section of Olympia, and there's nobody else on the street. There's just my car rattling along, a few yellow handbills, you know, slipping out of some tipped over uh, trash cans or whatever, or posted in the windows of empty stores. And they come up, and this 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 theater is this crumbling heap. It's like this big, gorgeous theater. But it's got a giant marquee out. It's literally like over the marquee. This weekend, the king in yellow. I mean, it just says it right over the thing. And I'm like, well, that's that's something you don't see every day is a big sign saying the king in yellow. Okay. And I'm like, all right. So we, we look around the building and get oriented. And there isn't. we find that there is a back exit into the alley. And so I'm like, all right. I want to park the car at the end of the alley that the emergency exit comes out in in case we have to hit the emergency exit and remember turn right turn right and run to the car you know i gave him an extra set of keys whoever gets to the car starts it you know whoever gets there first um john's just like whatever man we're gonna see beautiful things so <laughs> as we're going up to the theater i look at john and i'm like john if we get to the fucking theater and there's nobody else in the theater if there's just like an empty theater and there's just two seats folding chairs in the middle of this empty auditorium one for you and me i am walking the fuck out all right because that's no that's we're not doing that all right you know we're not it's all for you john scott it's all for you so when we get there and sure enough the, the place is kind of run down and ratty but at the same time there's all these weird beautiful touches there's this you know um uh sort of gold painted uh you know frame around the stage these big velvety curtains and there are these two box seats that are off to the left and right for the main curtain that have um these strange pastoral scenes painted under each box seat including lights that are built into the box seats that show the, the painting of this pastoral scene at night like some shepherd with some which is again i'm thinking yeah right, yeah right <laughs> What, what the what the effing up? So, but there, there's lights built into the painting that show star constellations in the painting with actual lights. And I'm just like, oh fucking times, just so we gotta get the fuck out of here. We gotta get the fuck out of here. No, it's gonna be great. And then I'm with my mom. I'm just not really. I'm looking around. I'm looking around. My head's on a swivel. And at some point, I turn around behind us, and I look and sitting bolt upright in a seat about ten rows back and off to the across the aisle is this figure wearing what looks to be a white zenti suit. You know what a zenti suit is? Yes. Yes. It's like it's like a gimp suit, except it's got no eye holes and no mouth holes, right? It it's just a green is, man suit. <laughs> yeah, it's a, if you're doing the green screen shit, yes, exactly. Except this one is white, and it has the yellow sign painted directly on the chest. It oh has, fuck! And there's big Phantom of Truth vibes going on, and I look over there and I go, John, was 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 that? That guy wasn't there when we came in, was he? And he's like, no, no, that's that's not a dude, that's a mannequin. And I'm looking back and I go, I think I would have noticed that when we, when we walked in. Wouldn't we have noticed it if it was a mannequin and it walked in? He's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. He just turns his back on it. I'm just like, I don't, I don't know, man. I think I think that dude came in and sat down. I think he's part of the production. At some point, we hear like a stirring or a <coughs> little 
Man, it fucking coughed. It fucking coughed. There's a dude in that suit. All right. Anyways, it it it, it looms behind us and waits until eventually the house lights go down. And we're the only ones there. We're the only ones there, right? Nobody else has come to the screening except us. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is it, you know. And the lights go down. The Phantom of Truth does, in fact, stand up behind us and walk down to the front of the theater and ascend the stage and begin an opening presentation before uh, a soliloquy before the curtain goes up and we get to see all the stuff and as i'm sitting there i'm just like you know i'm taking some comfort in the uh the sort of community theater level of performance that's happening in front of me so i'm like you know if this was really gonna suck us into carcosa the production values would be higher so we're probably okay but but um ultimately they got they did the dress rehearsal for act one and they came out and said you know we're not doing act two you know, this is just a lighting and dress rehearsal. And I'm like, well, that's why we weren't sucked into Carcosa, because we didn't do the act two, right? Um, but regardless, we went and saw it, you know, and we met Tom. And Tom uh, Rain gave us a tour of everything, including the horrifying king and yellow prop that they had had built for this, which is this, <clears throat> like, I don't know, nine or ten foot tall outfit that, you know, had this big frame that would sit on somebody's shoulders, and a puppeteer would work these long, weird arms, uh. this tattered robe hanging off of it in, in that sickening yellow. And, you know, I, I actually, that actually snuck up on me, because it was behind me, and I was distracted by the fact that the lighting rig for the theater was nothing but fucking Frankenstein switches. It was just these giant you know, switches you had to throw to turn on the various house lights and whatever, like right out of young Frankenstein, just total strict fatten. Jacob's Ladder kind of bullshit right back yeah. then. I look at that and Tynes is like taps him on the shoulder and I turn around and there's this like 11 foot tall puppet behind me and I'm just ah you know it was not good none of it yeah. was good um, <laughs> it took me a couple of years to admit to Tom that I had gone armed to the teeth to his, his play and was completely prepared to sell myself dearly if um, the, the king actually rose but as it was we we uh, we eventually went and took some friends. They put the play on twice, and we did two caravans of friends down the you know 60 minute drive to Olympia and made them sit through it because it was delightfully <laughs> amateurish and also delightfully well staged. Nice. And, um, uh, was just uh, you know it was marvelous. And for a while, we even published Tom's version of the King in Yellow through uh pagan publishing but uh, still longer available so there there's my last brush with the king in yellow for you oh right that's that 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 was amazing scott (laughs) i I didn't do shit tom ring tom ring and john tines are the ones for uh leaving me uh you know sweating uh you know in that lonely theater seat and that was just the thing just the only ones in here is just like yeah, I've, I've I've seen this. I've seen this show before. I know how this is going to end. You know, yeah. there, there's going to be a point where the, you stop being the audience and you're going to be part of the cast. And it's, <laughs> that's some full-on King and Yellow shit right there. <laughs> Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that will tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And... Thank you to all of our guests who 
you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. You were bringing out one thing I was thinking if you're doing it like for Dungeons and Dragons or a fantasy game, sure. Uh, you know, people are going to expect something like that, yeah, in, in the Feywild. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you know, if you wanted to run a dark game close to say Halloween or yeah. just you know, whenever you know, have people, you know, your players, oh, I've, I've, I've touched the Fey border, it's bad, but it's survivable. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they're not in Fey, they're they're in Carcosa. Sure. And it's the Fey on dark steroids. Gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. I like that idea. A little bit later, I'll talk about like how I I use Carcosa. But um, let's talk more about Carcosa itself. Uh, Dave, do you have anything that you have to say about Carcosa that's not game related? So this is again kind of gameish related, but it's not. Sure. And, and I have to admit, I, I'm talking out of place because I haven't seen the last part, but I've seen some of uh, True Detective. Sure, yeah. And Carcosa in here is not a city, but it's a temple. Yeah. And, and so that's another thought that, you know, the temples of Carcosa could be a gate to the real Carcosa. Sure, yeah. That's you know, and, and it could be, and, and again, this is sort of game design, but may, you know, maybe somebody uh, thinking about writing a, a book or something. But it could be that you go to these Temple of Carcosa, and you know, your presence, your footprints, your character's footprints, mm-hmm. allow something from Carcosa to come to your realm, your world. And just like Carcosa keeps changing, yeah. What if the people in Carcosa keep changing? You know, they you know start off maybe something like this character coming. Next time you meet it, the hair color is different, eye yeah, color, yeah, and and then size, and then gender, and then it comes into this just big old monstrosity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And maybe the only way that the only way that you can defeat it is you've got to go through this temple, end up on the other dimension. Put, put, I don't know. Uh, I'll let Game Masters come up with a, yeah. how they're going to do that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, Carcosa, it's it's a constantly shifting, changing kind of thing. It influences our world, and our world influences it. Uh, I, I guess it's like uh, decadent cities uh, that are crumbling slowly become part of Carcosa as they die. Uh, as as the city crumbles, as the memories fade, as people forget about the city, or as its legend and decadence grows, I'm I'm not quite sure how it works, but yeah, you could have like uh, various aspects of the same city if a city's been rebuilt. I imagine uh, 
New Orleans has like various representations in Carcosa, as does possibly uh, Berlin, San Francisco, uh, Beijing, uh, Hong Port- Kong, Portland. Portland. Portland, which looks so much <laughs> different in the 30s than it does now. Oh, Portland looked different in like the 20s than it did in the 50s than it did. And I don't know, it does kind of look like it does in the 80s now with everything shut down and boarded up. But <laughs> ha ha, that's just me joking about Portland. Um, but uh, yeah, no, no, it's Carcosa is this place. But here's the thing, how I use Carcosa. Carcosa was a place. Carcosa does not exist. Carcosa uh, isn't a city anymore. Like whatever... Carcosa was, has been absorbed by Aldebaran, a red, red giant in part of the Taurus constellation uh, out in the Pleiades. Or is it the Pleiades? I don't recall. Uh, I use both, but I'm notorious for using multi-pronunciations for words. Anything that's there is gone. It has been absorbed by the god Haster. Haster's influence is all the way out there influencing us. When we think we're going to Carcosa, what's going on is Haster is influencing Earth physically. When you think that you are in a city full of various cities and you're trying to get to the lake in the center so that you can go to the castle, that's Holly, but you have to do this so that you know to do that. And if you go into these, it's it's all Haster manipulating our, our world. It's Haster manipulating extra-dimensional time and space, creating places. Uh, it's, it's, it's Haster leeching power from us because it no longer has anything to influence and corrupt where it's at. And it's not just us. It's if there's sentient life out anywhere. Um, we've talked about the Bayaki, my personal headcanon. The Bayaki were a world that Haster has influenced and corrupted. It may be long gone, and that's who knows. Uh, I mean, maybe like we assume that it's humanoid, but what if Casilda, what and Oeth, and uh, all of them were whatever the race that we now know as the Bayaki used to be. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with Carcosa Bayaki. Um and, and and just be like, oh yeah, well, whatever that stuff was, that was written by people who didn't understand things, who were just like, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you can um, even... Translator make, errors? Yeah, translator errors. Things being translated from ancient... Uh, proto-human languages (laughs) using some sort of like Egyptian Rosetta Stone type thing. Uh, I don't know. Um, Just like uh, Migo to human translation error kind of stuff. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that you can be like. I mean, that's one thing that's just so fun to do with Call of Cthulhu is like, oh yeah, no, no, I know that you thought that this was this, but it's just simply not this. And you can do that with Call of Cthulhu and be like, yeah, no, your character thought that this spell was this, but it's actually this. Your character thought that these creatures were these, but they're actually this. It's just a translation error. And that's how I like to play Call of Cthulhu. Just a warning for people out there who ever end up playing Call of Cthulhu with me. Uh. No, excellent. <laughs> um, 
and you know, I was thinking, you know, if you were gonna use Carcosa mm -hmm. uh, in your your game, yeah, it would take a lot of prep. Mm -hmm. But if every it keeps changing, yeah, it doesn't, and it's a reality. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to change the same for everybody. No. So you would want to either pull your characters out, do it online where you can send them messages, mm -hmm. or, or write, but, you know, they're fighting a creature. Yeah. But they're not all fighting it the same. Yeah. Maybe at the end it has the same hit points that all adds up, but one's fighting a black dragon, and one's fighting a giant bugbear, and one's fighting something it doesn't even know what it is. So it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, they come to the dining room and one starts eating, you know... The food and as says, well, why are you touching that dead body like that or something? They don't have to all be experiencing mm -hmm. the same situation. And something I want to say is it doesn't have to take a lot of preparation for Carcosa if you use a random dungeon, random city generator found in the back of your uh, dungeon master's guide or found in your dungeon master's guide in general. Uh, you can you can do that for like. Uh, terrain for like city stuff for like just ideas of what's where uh, and just kind of like as as a jumping off point you don't have to be like well it says that it's a room with four braziers and be like oh, okay cool so uh, yeah no no you can you can do a ton of stuff and uh, I'm, I'm sure there's like uh, maybe city generators out there somewhere that'll uh, help you out for like more modern things. But yeah, no, I I think that you could do a lot of stuff with Carcosa or Carcosa type stuff, like just like little pocket dimensions, little mazes that, that a, uh, a wizard sends you to. Like what if, what if you're playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons or some sort of fantasy RPG D20 style game and a wizard sends you to uh, Carcosa? or something like Carcosa, a city that's constantly shifting and changing, and how do you get out of it, and how do you figure out the way, and it's like, oh, I gotta figure out how to get across the lake to that castle, or to that palace, or to that whatever, and there you go. Uh, I mean, I mean, that's generally, like, I don't know how people get, are supposed to get out of Carcosa traditionally. Uh, I think it's... I think traditionally you don't, but as a game master, <laughs> you may want to create something. Yeah, yeah. As a game master, uh, like you know, um, if you're, you may want to give your your uh, characters a way out, um, or unless this is like the punishment for your character going mad, this could be uh, how you let your characters know that they have gone so mad that you know. They're the only ones seeing the city change. They're the only ones who see other people eating bodies at a table. They're the only ones that see a lake or, or, or a palace in the center of the body of the water that they're walking across or walking next to. Uh, they're the only ones who see the ornate boats. They're the only ones who see the various art styles changing. They're the only ones who see a horse slowly becoming invisible, uh... Uh, going from flesh to meat to bones to nervous system and then back again. Uh, they're the only ones who don't see anyone on the streets and just hear whispers in the sky. I mean, and, you know, your, your character who's just, just right on the edge of going completely bat stuff crazy is the one who's experiencing Carcosa. 
who has experienced so much that it's just like they're about to go home. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be um, a PC. Yep. The PC, it could be an NPC, which gives you a lot more control. Yeah. And, you know, you know, maybe... Maybe this NPC is, you know, one they've used before. There's a connection and there's a relation. And then they're, like, visiting them at a mental asylum. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe maybe, maybe the PC that they've got this relationship is the real, is really is crazy. Yeah. But it's that other character, just looks like a minor thrown out character, mm-hmm. is actually seeing reality the way it is. Yeah. Or not. Or not, or not. Uh, do you have any RPG uh, recommendations for any King and Yellow type stuff there, Dave? Well, here, the, the one thing is, and, and, and I'll tell you, uh, I mean, um, so there's a couple versions of, of King of Yellow that you can read, and I avoided them mm-hmm. for, for two reasons. One is somewhere, and I know it's not true, but deep down someone said, you read that, you're going to go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other reason... Is this disappointment? You read that, and you're not gonna go crazy. You're gonna be disappointed. <laughs> so, but maybe you know if it's a fantasy world, and, and even the if you're using some of the the, the Link card or some of the versions, but actually sort of maybe base a world on it. Yeah, yeah. You know, with the characters and the the coming messengers and nice. Nice. I want to recommend, there's there's three books I want to recommend. The first one is an actual short story book edited by Joe Pulver. I believe it's called Casilda. Uh, it's by Chaosium. It came out in about 2014, 2015. Um, really great short stories. Uh, modern, not so modern. The other one I want to recommend is, I believe, Delta Green Countdown. There Countdown. is... There is stuff on the Haster Mythos in there that I think is amazing. And the last one, of course, is a Chaosium uh, campaign called Tatters of the King, which takes place in, I believe, the uh, mid-1920s or late-1920s. I'm pretty sure it's the Edwardian period between the wars. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. Well, which is, you know, that which is, you're right, the 20s. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. But but I think, it's been a while since I've read it, but I think most of it takes place in, doesn't part of it take place in England? Yeah, uh, most of it takes place in England, and it goes to the Severn Valley, and yeah, 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 it's 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 a pretty fun one. I, I so have I'm going to throw a fourth one in. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, and it, it's like any other short story collection. It's yeah. got some hits and misses, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but Chaosium did do a Hostor cycle. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I really like that one. And, and and there's there's some stuff like there's there's a yeah so it's it's some hit and misses, but it's really good if you want to sort of track the evolution of Haster. Sure, yeah, no, I that one I'm gonna say if you want to use Haster and different ideas of Haster, the Chaosium uh, Haster cycle is really good. Also, I highly recommend reading. Uh, the Ruiner of Reputations, 
uh, reading just uh, the King repair Indian. Of, uh, repair yeah, of. yeah, yeah, yeah. The repair of reputations. Uh, I didn't mean to be that guy, but it's, yeah, the repair of. <laughs> no, thank you, thank you. Uh, I don't know why I said ruiner of reputations. That would be the opposite. Which kind of sets place. So that's set place like ten years or so after it's written. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in a way, that's almost. That's almost. Um, you know. Steampunk, cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah, it's because, it's it's near it near future world. dystopian uh, it science fiction. It's Germany. Yeah, and predicts World War One, which honestly, I mean, it know, wasn't yeah, that was hard to predict. Europe, yeah, somebody was going to fight Germany. Yeah, you just had to uh, stick your head out the window and be like, uh oh, Germany's uh, preparing for something. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, it, it's got a very militarized America. Yeah, uh, yeah. where suicide is legal yeah. and encouraged. Suicide booths. Yeah, and you don't you don't know if it's real, or if it's another dimension that's bleeding into this guy. Mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Chambers is the master of the uh, you know the narrative and the narrator that is just not reliable. The unreliable narrator, yeah. you know, his, his his foreground there. So that's a different. And, and I've seen online some people were trying to make like that set a setting for role-playing games. Oh, I believe uh, Robin D. Laws has. Okay. Yeah. And this was like 10 years ago, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I saw that. Yeah. I know that he has uh, some very... I know he has some Haster-centric games oh, that yeah. I haven't played yet. Yeah, yeah, no, the King in Yellow uh, role-playing system uh, that... or uh, King in Yellow system for Gumshoe that Robin D. Laws has set up is pretty fascinating. It uh, deals with, um, like, kind of, uh, like, uh, the period where everything was going on in The King in Yellow. Then it has kind of, like, a uh, period of time where, like, uh, like wars and stuff, uh, post, like, uh, King in Yellow, post uh, repair of reputations, but in that timeline setting. And then kind of, like our timeline or not our timeline but like our time period but like in that world in that world so it'd be like the 2000s in that world and then there is kind of like after things get sorted out and like everything's been kind of fixed but there's still this tint of the king in yellow in uh, our world is like the four game settings for this one okay. game, and you can shift around through those game settings with the game because of kind of the way that uh, the King in Yellow and Gumshoe because works. Because Robin D. Laws. Because Robin D. Laws is a creative genius. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. No, uh, I highly recommend uh, check out, I, I believe uh, Pelgrain Press puts it out, and I picked up uh, the... Uh, a bundle on uh, drive through RPG. I'm sorry, this isn't a commercial. It's just something that I have to highly recommend if you're looking for Haster stuff, if you're looking for Carcosa stuff, if you're looking for Haster Mythos stuff in general that's like uh, a little bit different than the Delta Green stuff that came out. That's a little bit different than the, Car- uh, the Chaosium stuff came out. Uh, that's different from the D20 stuff that came out through Pathfinder or came out through Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I think, like, 
even Game of Thrones has like a Carcosa, which is some like far eastern city or something like that. I believe so, and, and I'm, you know, one of the, I think maybe you too, one of the like 20 nerds that never saw the TV show or read the book. Yeah. But my understanding, it's like the far eastern city that's mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, and, um, but never, never actually visited in yeah. the story. Okay. And, um, uh, J.R.R. Martin, he, he's a huge Lovecraftian. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a huge Lovecraftian, so he puts a lot of stuff in the stuff that he published as mm-hmm. sort of the background material, yeah. in, including deep ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Oh, man, I can't wait till we get to deep ones. <laughs> that will be a deep conversation. Certainly, certainly. What else do we have to say about Carcosa, Dave? I think, you know, really that we about covered it as much as sort of this, you know, throwaway line, or not line, but throwaway sort of concept that Chambers, uh, you know, created or, mm-hmm. or throwaway line that Bierce created. I think the fact that we can go and talk for as long as we have on the subject is just amazing. Yeah. Not that we're amazing, it's no. just how much it's grown. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and there's going to be people who uh, comment on this later and be like, well, how come you didn't talk about that? And why didn't you talk about this? And why didn't you talk about that? It's like, well, we can't talk about everything, but we can try. (laughs) So, hey, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I've been D.B. Spitzer. You've been David Heath. Or have I? Ooh. And you have been a really good audience. I hope you're getting stuff yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, I'll give them that, yeah. <laughs> I'll give them that, too. Uh, I hope you're having a good commute. I hope you're having a good day at work, uh, doing yard work, doing housework, doing nothing at all. Uh, yeah, no, if, if you're just, like, maxing and relaxing, chilling out, you know, I, I hope you're having a good day. Uh, check out out the store at pgttcm.com check the show notes if you want to get some uh, delicious pour over coffee from Vietnam with Copper Cow or any of the other cool stuff that we're offering right now I didn't mean for that to rhyme uh, and but it did it did so that's a plus that's a plus and we hope you have a good Halloween. We haven't even talked about Halloween. I didn't even talk about how I have a cool inflatable pumpkin outside of my house right now. Man, Halloween is awesome. I've already eaten half a bag of Reese's uh, peanut butter cups. And did you know that they make like these little bag of Kit Kats? And it has all these like flavors you can't get normally in America. No. Like, like orange and peanut butter and... Uh, vanilla and orange and oh oh yeah yeah no no sarah got some that were uh last year that were like mango and i was like these are amazing and i normally don't like mango but mango chocolate it was amazing anyway we hope you all have a fun safe halloween um and uh yeah we'll see you in november And we hope you've been enjoying the ghost stories that we've been putting up daily uh, throughout later October. And Dave, do you have anything to say before we head off into that uh, spooky night? No, other than we got two really awesome interviews for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We hope you like the interviews. And again, we'll see you in uh, November. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your ma, tell your pa, or I'll ship you down to Sothagwa. 
and we got that shirt in the shop and we'll talk to you in the near future thank you again everyone and goodbye bye Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to the show. Music is by me, D.B. Spitzer, edited and produced by me, D.B. Spitzer. The interview portions are always edited and produced by David Heath. And hey, you can find us wherever you find podcasts. So check out pgttcm.com. And if you don't want to check out the Patreon, if you don't want to do that, and you want to help out the show, just go to sponsors or buy t-shirts or anything like that. Anything helps. Thank you again. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio.